First Peter chapter five. Verse eight. Be sober. Be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Would you pray with me? Open your mouth and pray for me. Pray for this place. Lord Jesus, we need you, God. Help us here today to receive what you have for us, God. To look to you as our need meter, God. One who is able to give us everything we need only by a word, God. Help us to realize, God, that we are in a war. We're in a struggle. We're in a battle over the souls of our own self, over the souls of our children, of our family, of our very church, God. So let there be a diligence, let there be a, a self-control, a soberness of mind. Let us gird ourselves with self-control, with a sober mind, with discipline, God, with power from on high so that we can stand against the wiles of the devil here today. None of us, God, are without temptation. None of us are without challenge and suffering, God. So we need you here today, Lord. We need you desperately. In Jesus' precious name, amen. I, I just, here this afternoon, I just want to make an appeal to the people of Grace River Chapel. Um, I don't know how polished this will be, although I'm not polished normally. I just want to make an appeal from my heart to yours. I want to make an appeal from the Word of God concerning what we just read. One of my greatest fears for myself personally and a great fear for this church is for there to be satisfaction in my life and the life of this church, for there to be a stagnation. And I think every single one of us have maybe been in a place of complacency one time or another. Can you agree? And really, all of the issues that lead to distancing ourselves from Christ and allowing sin in, it all starts with just the normal neglect of the things of God, doesn't it? And complacency can set in and stagnation. You become satisfied with your current portion of Christ. You don't see the great necessity to read the Word of God as you used to, to be in His Word, to be at church, to be with His people. And I just want to implore every single one of us, individually, your life individually, but also as a, as a collective group, a church that makes up Grace River Chapel, I want us, as uh, Peter just told them, to be sober-minded and to be vigilant. And the reason why is because the devil goes about as a roaring lion and he wants to destroy your life. He wants to destroy the life of this church. The Bible tells us that for anyone who is not in Christ, that they have been deceived, that their eyes have been blinded by the God of this world. 
Jesus told the Pharisees who thought they were so religious and they knew the law backwards and forwards and they knew all the right things to say and they, they prayed big flowery prayers on the street corners and they, they fasted and everybody knew it. When they gave alms, everybody knew it. But he said, you're a brood of vipers and you're of your father, the devil, who is a liar. You're of your father, the devil. And, and it's, a, it's a fearful thought when you think of the scripture where Jesus says in that last day, when everyone comes before me, there will be those that say, but Lord, didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we do mighty works and miracles in your name? Did we not do this and that in your name? And what is the Lord's response? I never knew you. And so by that very fact, it's, it indicates that you can go through all of re the religious calisthenics of church life. You know what to say, how to say it, how to lift your hands, how to pray, how to sound Pentecostal, how to sound Baptist, whatever it may be. You know exactly how to go through the whole gambit and how to present yourself. And your heart all the while can be so far from God. So far from God. And I'd, I'd rather be, I'd rather the individual just stay home and not play the hypocrite than come to church and play the hypocrite. I can, I can have greater respect for the person who says, yeah, I'm not right, and I'm, I'm not going to play like I am. But too many people, in an attempt to justify their own sin, to justify their own position, to justify the things in their lives, and, and, and because they are, they've never been saved even, or they're so blinded and desensitized, they show up to church and it makes them feel better, or they think they're okay. But I want, this is a warning to all Christians that, that Peter is writing to these Christians. And it's a warning to all of us that what I just described can happen to any of us. It can happen to any of us. That is a great fear of mine. Like a, a fear that, oh God, don't let me become desensitized. Don't let me become hardened in heart in any capacity. I, on a daily basis, would want to become more tender. And, and, and more sensitive and responsive to the Spirit of God. And, and here's the thing. Here's why this matters so much. This, this is why it, it matters so much. Because your very life depends upon this. Souls are in the balance. Your very soul is in the balance. And there is a war being waged for your soul. There's a war being waged for your precious children. Doesn't matter if they're one year old, five years old, 10, 13. The devil wants to destroy their life. He wants to destroy your marriage. He wants to destroy your household. And for many people who are not bowing down to Jesus as their Lord, the devil already has them in that place. The household is already a mess. The marriage is already broken. The children are already wayward and rebellious. There's all kinds of abuse and trauma. And, and there's such a tumultuous relationship. And the devil is having his way with those people. And maybe you have family members. Maybe there, there's even ladies in this church who go home to unsaved husbands. And they're praying for them to be saved. And... You will not see your husband saved. You will not see your children saved. You will not see yourself once and for all finally in the presence of God 
If there is a spiritual malaise or laziness that you allow to set into your heart, and furthermore, as we individually allow that, would allow that to happen, that would affect the church as well. And I individually and corporately want us, want us to continue to wage the warfare against Satan, against the flesh, against the world. Because souls are in the balance. Souls are in the balance and your very soul is as well. You know, when you read throughout the Psalms, there's several occasions where the psalmist says, sing a new song. Have you ever read that? Sing a new song. Sing a new song. Now, what he's talking about there is not sing a new song that has a recent copyright date. The date and the year that it was written, sing it ones that are newer or contemporary. No, what he's saying is sing a new song. That is a new song of the heart. Sing of the new mercies you're experiencing today that you didn't experience yesterday. Sing of the greater victory and power you have today that you may have not had last year. Sing of his goodness and his love and his mercy and the great things that he has done that you are experiencing today at a greater level and at a deeper level than you have recently. And you can never sing a new song. Never sing a new song if there's complacency and neglect in our lives. You know what you're going to do? You're going to continue to regurgitate the old song. You're going to just say the same old thing that you always say. It's going to become done by rote. It's just going to become religious calisthenics. But how many of you want a new song in your heart? You want to move into new territory. You want to move on with God. You want to see people saved. You want to see your family saved. You're not content with the devil having his way in people's lives. You're not content. <clears throat> You're not content with the devil bringing accusations and destruction or the temptation or the challenge of destruction in your life. That you, you are not going to passively watch the devil march into your life and take what's not his. That you are, you're going to have a spiritual fortitude, a determination because of what Jesus has done at the cross. I'm not giving up. I'm not letting go. I'm not giving in to the, to the temptations around me and the voices around me. I'm going on with the Lord. I'm going on with the Lord. And that should be the same thing when we come into this church. Listen, this church has been in existence for three or four months. And we cannot be sustained by mere excitement. We cannot be sustained by forward momentum. We have to be sustained by the Spirit of God receiving something from Him on a daily basis. When we come into this place... I pray there's a new song in your heart and you bring something to this church this Sunday that you didn't bring last Sunday. So that there's this continuous moving forward and moving forward. You can go a little while off of pure excitement and newness and momentum, positive momentum, but that's not going to sustain you. I can be excited about a $20,000 gift, but what's going to sustain me is daily eating of the bread of life, which is Jesus. Being in his presence daily. And so, we need a new song. And the only way to do this is as Peter describes here. Look here at the scripture. Be sober. Be vigilant. 
That word sober means self-controlled. Soberness of mind, self-controlled or disciplined. At the men's uh, breakfast yesterday morning, that was the, the subject we were talking about was discipline. And really as it pertains to men and men of God, when it comes to discipline and, and leading by example to your family and, and being a godly man, how many of you know you don't make it to heaven by accident? And neither do you overcome your adversary, the devil, by accident. In the same way that you don't get six-pack six pack abs by accident. Anybody in here ever gotten six-pack abs by accident? Nope. 20-inch biceps by accident? Nope. Ran a mile in under five minutes by accident? No. None of us have. In the same way that it is in the natural, so it is in the spiritual. There has to be a discipline in our lives, a self-control, a, a desire to exercise ourselves in godliness, to give ourselves over to the things of God, that you can't afford to become spiritually lazy and a spiritual couch potato where you just sit on the sidelines and you watch everybody else participate. But your call to the war, your call to the fight, be sober, be vigilant. Did anybody get into your car this morning or this afternoon, start your vehicle, recline your seat, sit back, close your eyes, and then put it into gear and leave your driveway? Did anybody recline and take a little nap on your way here as you're driving? Is that even possible? No. There's absolutely no way. Put a blindfold over you. There's no way. There's too, many, there's too many dangers. There's too many toils and snares. There's too many vehicles around you. Too many obstacles to, to dodge. He's saying be vigilant. When I was, now this isn't saying much. I played football in Lumberton. And if you're from Southeast Texas, you know why. In 2006, well actually my entire high school career, we won one game. And I was on varsity my sophomore, junior, and senior year. One game. But I was a wide receiver. Hunter and Wade were also sophomores on varsity. We, were, we all played together. And I was a wide receiver. And I remember when I came to spring training, and that was in the spring of my freshman year, and we start training with the varsity. And this is completely new territory. Went from freshman team to varsity. These guys are bigger, faster, stronger. And I remember one of the, one of the juniors who was a receiver. I, I remember one of the key tips he gave me. He said, if you go across the middle of that field, you keep your head on a swivel. Because some 200-pound linebacker is going to knock you out. One of the scariest things you can do as a wide receiver is go across the middle where all the traffic is, where the big linebacker is, that if the pass is thrown to you, you're going to get your head knocked off. And if you are blindly running across with no care in the world and you don't keep your head on a swivel, you don't know what's around you, what's about you, you're going to get yourself hurt. And I did. I did playing for Lumberton. But be vigilant. Be vigilant. 
How many of you, when you, here in Southeast Texas during the summertime, you go out into the woods, what are you looking for on the ground? Snakes. Especially if you're in a heavily leaved area and brushy area, you gotta watch out for copperheads. And now that we have children, and they're over at my grandparents, and, and both, both of the grandparents have woods all around their property. Oftentimes when the children go outside, watch out for snakes. Watch out for snakes. And I've told you all the story of, of Lily who almost stepped on a copperhead. And my mother-in-law, uh, Renee, saw it and picked her up really quick. And uh, it was just laid out in the yard. But you have to be vigilant, don't you? You've got to be vigilant. In the same way that you'd be vigilant for your own safety if you went into a place of war or going across the middle of a football field, you have to keep your head on a swivel and you have to be vigilant. You have to be vigilant. Why? And here's why. Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. That's why. This is real life. There's too many people who've got their heads in the clouds and they think this doesn't matter. Heaven and hell are real. The choices you make matter. The things you give yourself to matter. What you open your mind and your heart to matter. Because the devil is looking for a foothold in your life because he doesn't want to just maim you. He wants to destroy and devour your life. The devil is the enemy of God. He's the enemy of the people of God. Always has been. That word adversary there, in, in the Greek, it has indications of an adversary in court. One who brings an accusation in court, in a legal sense. And the word devil, in Greek it is diablos. It means slanderer or accuser. And, and if you are not full of the Spirit of God, the accuser of the brethren, the, the deceiver, the one who, uh, who comes from a, a pit of lies, he will come and cast, will cast doubt and fear into your life. He will come and take advantage of weaknesses in your life. And he will try everything he can to tear you apart. He will say, you're not saved. You're not right. He accuses you at the bar, at the judgment seat, if you were, if you know, if you will. But it's the blood of Jesus that speaks for us, isn't it? At the bar seat of God. And says, no, I am redeemed, I am justified, I am forgiven. But he says, he walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. If, if you look at a lion, a real life lion, in its environment... A lion does not catch its prey, whether it be a deer, a gazelle, or anything else. It does not catch its prey by a foot chase because it can't keep up. And it only has short spurts of power and energy, and it can't run continuously, and it can't catch a gazelle or some sort of quicker animal. But the way that a lion in its normal environment, if you're watching National Geographic, they do it by deception by being sly. And so they will crouch down. They'll get uh, upwind of this prey. And they will crouch. And whenever that prey has its head down, that lion starts to move, doesn't it? And as soon as that gazelle puts its head up, it stops. And it will, it, it will sit there for 20, 30 minutes, an hour if it has to. 
It's exceedingly patient. It can wait all day. And because the, 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 the deer or the prey may not have the greatest eyesight from a distance, and because the, the lion fits into the environment, because it stays completely still, whenever that gazelle puts its head up, it doesn't see it. It puts its head back down. It starts going forward, bit by bit, bit by bit. And primarily, what the lion has its eye on are three kind of prey. He goes for the weak. He goes for the isolated. And he goes for the young. He goes for the young, the weak, and the isolated. We have children in our households. And it's the desire of the devil to sift them as wheat. To take everything good and leave them with nothing. He wants to take away their virginity at a young age. He wants to lead them into substance abuse. He wants to lead them into rebellion. He wants to completely destroy their life. And it is of utmost importance that we teach our young people, that we teach our children, and we, we show them by example the reality of heaven, the reality of eternity, the reality of hell, and we instill in them a fear of God, a love of God, a hatred of evil, because the, you, you, you better believe it, and I know my children are the sweetest thing ever, more sweet than any other child, but I can see that sin nature in them the rebelliousness in them. And if I don't take that seriously, and I don't instill in them, this is the way. Train up a child. Train up a child in the truth of the Lord so they won't go away from the Lord, so they won't go wayward. And if I do not do that, if I just leave it up just as a toss-up, uh, they'll get it one day. Maybe they'll get saved. If, if I approach the raising of my children in a nonchalant manner, I want you to know the devil is not nonchalant regarding the soul of your children. He is actively trying to find a foothold in your children's lives. And don't always assume the best about your children either. Don't always assume they're a golden child. And what they say to your face is not always the truth. I may have some young kids who aren't teenagers yet, but I once was a teenager. And at that... In an extremely godly and Christian household. And I'm embarrassed and ashamed to tell you of the things that I did. Knowing better. And fooling parents. And so it is of utmost importance, importance that you're always attending to spiritual cultivation of your children. Because if you're not, the devil, the devil will have a wonderful time with your child. He will destroy their utter, them to the uttermost. What is that bumper sticker? The devil has a plan for your child, do you? The devil has a plan for your child, do you? And too many parents, they leave it up to the pastor or to the Sunday school teacher. And the things of God in the household are virtually untaught, unspoken of. And there's no training and there's no 
correction in, in the things of God. There's no taking out the Bible and teaching your child. Listen, we can't afford to be complacent when it comes to the souls of your dear children. Be vigilant, be sober over the young, over the children. Listen, there are people who are young in this church. All of us, first the parents, but then all of us. Let's look out for the young of this church. Let's look out for their spiritual well-being. Let's instill and let's love and pour into the young of this church. Because they need teaching. They need an example. And if we don't do that, the devil will prey upon them. He also, he tries to go after, if not the young, he tries to go after the weak. That is an animal that may be an adult animal, uh, um, an adult deer or or gazelle. And if it's weak, if it's sick, if it's maimed, if it's hurt in any way, he can easily catch, he can easily catch that deer. And in the context of the scripture, Paul or Peter is talking to these Christians in the context of their suffering and their trial and tribulation and their persecution in the Lord. And, And what he is saying here is, Oftentimes, in your place of suffering or trial or tribulation, that is a moment in which we are tempted or we may fall prey to spiritual weakness. That we may be more susceptible in the midst of that trial and tribulation. If you're not sober and you're diligent, and the devil can find a foothold in that place of persecution, that place of challenge and trial and tribulation. And so he goes after the weak. And so if you are not prayed up, if you don't have the word of God in your heart so that you may not sin against God, you might sin against God. He will find a foothold in your life because there's a spiritual weakness. You are spiritually deficient. You're spiritually impotent to face the wiles of the devil. Listen, you cannot overcome in your own strength. You cannot in your own strength of your flesh overcome addiction. You cannot overcome lust and pornography and, and anything else that, that is a temptation to flesh. You cannot overcome it in your own strength. You're not strong enough. You're just not. And so the devil will find a foothold and he will take advantage of those particular weaknesses. He knows, he knows the soft spots in your armor, the chinks in your armor. And if we're not completely vigilant and sober-minded and attending to all areas of our life, and there's some weakness in our spiritual armor, he's going to exploit it. He's going to take advantage. He's going to grab a foothold there. And before you know it, you're in more deep than you ever thought you would be. And then he likes to take advantage of the isolated. The isolated. You cannot, you cannot make it with the Lord without the church of Jesus Christ. You cannot make it without your Christian brother and sisters in the Lord. It is absolutely devised by the Lord that you grow in fellowship with the Lord and with one another. We have the same Lord. We have the same Spirit. We have the same baptism. Every single one of us. You are a brother and sister in Christ, but the devil would love to isolate you from the people of God. He would love to isolate you and say, why are you going to church? Those people, you know that person, he's a hypocrite. What's the point going? Or or, or, the pastor hurt my feelings and I'm not going. 
Or you allow criticism, or you allow things that you hear and you see in the body of Christ to isolate you from the people of God. And we know people will always let you down. I will let you down. Jesus will never let you down. But you cannot make it in isolation from the people of God. You just can't. And, and, and God bless someone if they're physically unable to make it to the church house. But watching the pastor on the TV is not church. You may be getting what you need as far as the Word of God, but you are supposed to grow in the context of Christian fellowship with the church of Jesus Christ. That is the New Testament standard. And so I'm thankful for the ministers on the television that we can all gain help from, but that's not your church because there's no people of God that you're fellowshipping with. And even in that context, there are, you're, you may be more susceptible to the wiles of the devil because he likes to go after people in isolation. He can catch them much easier. But for the person who is sober and vigilant, who has their head on a swivel, who is disciplined, who is attending to all the things in their life, listen, you know your heart better than anybody else. You know the temptations that get you. You know your challenges. You know, you know, nobody else may know. Your spouse may not know what you deal with and what you face and what the temptations are in your life, in your mind, the things that come up. You know. The Lord knows. And don't ignore it. Don't ignore it. Don't push it to the side. Give attention to it. Give it to the Lord. Because the devil, he wants to destroy your life and he will grasp onto anything in your life and in the life of this church. When Jesus ministered to people, the scribes and Pharisees were amazed because he spoke with authority. Unlike the scribes who spoke and they referenced other men. But Jesus spoke of his own authority. And, and, and when, when, he, when he healed people, he did it in great power and faith. And all of this is because there was life in Jesus. John was not that light, but he came to testify of that light, that light which is the life of men. In John chapter 1, Jesus is life. He was full of life. And the devil would love to snuff out life in you. Love to snuff out life in this church. The world and, the de the world and your flesh as well. To snuff out life. It has everything to do with life. And so... We can go to some churches and we immediately know there's no life there. It is dead. You know it. Or you might go to another church and there's a lot of activity. Maybe there's a lot of fellowship, lots of energy, lots of things going on, but it's all a shell. And there's been a replacement of the life of God, of the, the Spirit of God with the cleverness of men and programs and things of that nature. And there's still no life. When you really... Get in and you dig in, there's no life there. And the devil is content with both scenarios. But I want this to be a place of life. When we were at prayer meeting the other night, Sister Sue made, made a, a statement. She said, I just believe that this church is going to be a hospital for people. I, I want people to be ministered to. I, I want the, their needs to be met when they come to this place, that they receive life from the Spirit of God, that the reality of Jesus, that the exaltation of God's Word can deliver people, can save people, can set them free. And that cannot happen if we're in a place of complacency, if we relent 
But we must keep our hand to the plow and keep going forward. Keep pursuing the Lord. Please, just keep pursuing the Lord. If you've got anything in your life, repent of it. Put it in the past and go forward. Keep your eyes on Jesus. The life, your very life, the life of your family, the life of this church depends upon it. And so he says, sinking whom he may devour. Look at verse 9. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. The person sitting next to you is facing the exact same type of temptations and trials and, and testings of their faith and doubts and fears that come in. You're not alone. You're not alone. This, is further, fur, this further corroborates the, the idea that you cannot live in isolation, that there are other brothers going through the same thing, and we can help one another. We can encourage one another. Be encouraged that you're not in this alone, he's saying. But he's saying, resist him, steadfast in the faith. That word resist means to withstand, not to give in, to oppose, to stand in front of. It means that there is absolutely no retreat. There's no passiveness. That there is in the power of God and the might that he supplies to me by putting on the armor of God. We read about in Ephesians chapter 6. By being in constant prayer, intercessory prayer, by giving ourselves over to the Lord, we can stand in his power and his might and we can resist the devil. You don't have to give in to temptation. You don't have to give in to the temptation to doubt God's plan in your life when suffering and persecution come in trials and hurt come. You don't have to question God's sufficiency. You can stand in the power of God and you can overcome the devil. And many of us in here today are a testimony of that, that you can resist the devil. And, and there, are, there are some people, when they're faced with a particular temptation, they quite nearly give in every time. But if there would be a soberness, if there would be a vigilance, if there would be a discipline, if there would be feeding your soul, giving yourself to the things of God, you would realize that it's not in your own power and strength, but by the might of the Spirit of God that you can overcome. You, you, you can overcome. You don't have to sin. You don't have to live a roller coaster Christian life. You can be on a constant state of forward progress, upward progress. It doesn't have to be two steps forward and one step back. You can live victorious. You're more than conquerors in Him who loved us. More than conquerors. So He says, Resist Him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced. Look at verse 10. But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. Just hang on to Jesus. His, his grace is sufficient. Even when you feel at your weakest place, fall on Jesus, and it's in that place that his grace is sufficient, and he will bring you through. He will bring you through, and ultimately he will perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. Very quickly, to finish up, go to Ephesians chapter 6. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6.
Ephesians 6 and 10. Now listen, there is a personal responsibility for all of us. In our, our men's breakfast yesterday, we're talking about discipline. And when you start talk, telling people you need to, to walk in discipline, that is, you know, you need to spend time with the Lord. You need to be at church. You need to read the Word. You need to do all those things. There needs to be spiritual discipline in your life. There were some people who will actually accuse that of being legalism. There are actually some who would accuse that of being legalist. Well, see, you're not supposed to do it in your own power and your own might. It's not about you, and you're completely right. But the fact of the matter is, the Lord cannot have lordship and authority in any area of your life except that you surrender it to him. He cannot have his way in your life except that you surrender it to him, except that you lay it down so that he can replace it with his power. There's a personal responsibility for us to crucify our flesh, to give attention to the things of, the things of God. But ultimately, it is his work. It is his work. So look here at 6 and 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. His might that he gives you. I'm not going to go through this extensively, but I just want to brush over this and leave us with this. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. The schemings, the devices of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. We are not war warring against Democrats or Republicans. The war is not with men and women. The war is with the spirit of this age, with powers of darkness in high places. It is the devil and demonic spirits who are real, who want to destroy men's lives. And we are not fighting against flesh and blood. We're fighting against those spiritual forces of wickedness. So therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. It's not that you might be able to stand. Hopefully you'll be able to stand. You can stand in the evil day. God's power is greater than any power of the devil. Listen, the devil is not an equal counterpart to the Lord. Oftentimes, if you read a book, if you watch a movie, there's evil and good. Evil and good. It, it always seems like there's the, the, there is these opposing forces that are equally good or equally evil to the greatest degree. But the devil, listen, this is very important for you to understand. The devil is not an counterpart to the Lord. He is of darkness. He is evil. He is wickedness. He is contrary to the things of God. But he is not all-powerful. He is not all-knowing. He cannot create as the Lord can create. He, is, he has power more than we do, but he has no power that comes even close to the power of God in you. The Spirit of God in you is greater than any scheme of the devil because he's not an equal counterpart to the Lord. The Lord might win. No, he is victorious. And we learn in Revelations in the end, we win. 
We win. We're on the victorious side. We can, we can prevail over the world, the flesh, and the devil. So look here. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand. 14. Seth, come help me, please. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth. We live in a crazy culture where there is no absolute truth. Where there's a redefining of terms. Think about this, okay? For the person who is, let's say, from the humanist or skeptical side, the statement, there is no absolute truth, meaning there's no moral absolutes. I'd like to ask them, is that statement absolute? You understand what I'm saying? Is that statement true if there's no absolute truths? There's a redefining of terms. There's a redefining of gender. There's a redefining of sexuality. There's a redefining of marriage. There's a redefining of all kinds of things. What is right and what is wrong. And it's always been that way. And we see it in this society, in this culture. What we need is truth. We need to gird our middle. This is the belt of truth. We need to be anchored by truth. The truth of the word of God. That when the accusations of the devil come, you have the truth. You are anchored by truth. There's, there's no, there's no um, moorings for people in society today. They're tossed to and fro by every trick of the devil. And we need truth to stabilize us and give us a foundation. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness. That could be seen as our own righteousness in the Lord or the imputed righteousness of Jesus. That it's this breastplate that covers my internal organs. And that when he makes accusations against me, I can point to the imputed righteousness of Jesus. And that I am righteous and I do stand holy before him. And having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, the Roman soldiers would wear these boots with nails in the bottom so that your feet would not slip or give way to the adversary before you. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. It is faith in the presence of sickness, in the presence of loss, in the presence of what seems like a completely hopeless situation. It is faith that still believes God to turn the situation around. That I can take this shield and shield myself from all the accusations and the slander of the accuser of the brethren and all his attempts to tempt me and to harm me, I can put the shield of faith and say, no. Faith says this, that I am victorious, that God is able, that he who promised is faithful. He's able to preserve me. He's able to keep me. Faith always responds with the truth of the word of God. And take the helmet of salvation, that which covers our mind, that I, I know that I'm saved, that I have a, a renewed mind, I have a clear head, and I have the assurance of salvation in my understanding. And then all those being defensive portions of the armor, then the one offensive weapon is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. When Jesus was tempted, we all know this, how did he respond to the devil? The word of God says, the word says, 
You respond with the Word of God that is the sword of the Spirit and you can slay whatever may be before you. All the while, look at verse 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. We need to be a praying people. Be determined that I'm going to intercede for my family, for my children, for my spouse, for my situation, for this church. I'm really going to seek the Lord and intercede, praying with supplication and crying out to the Lord. We, we must be a people of prayer, a people who see our dependence upon the Lord and we run to Him continuously and constantly. We've been praying for Kelly for a long time. She got saved four or five months ago, trying to overcome things, and she is a completely different person than she was three or four months ago. God answers prayer. Amen, Kelly? He answers prayer. If you would have only known what she was facing, God answers prayer. And, and she has not come to this place of victory by accident. She has pursued the Lord. She sought the Lord. She has read the scriptures. She comes to prayer meetings. She's at church. She fellowships with the people. She asks for encouragement. She tells of her struggles. And I'm telling you, God has healed her. God has touched her. And that doesn't happen by accident. That happens by giving yourself over to the Lord and saying, Devil, not today. Not today. Would you stand with me? Would you begin to pray with me? Pray for yourself. Pray for your family. Pray for the people in this room that the Lord would keep and preserve, that he would deliver those who are bound by Satan. Lord Jesus, help us, God, to be a people of prayer who run to you, God, with our needs, who fall on their knees saying, we need you to move on our behalf, God. Make us a people who have an urgency and an earnestness about us, God. That God, at the end of our lives, how much money we made does not matter. How big our house was doesn't matter. What we drove does not matter. What matters is what have we done with Jesus? What have we done with our lives? What have we done and given ourselves over to spiritually? God, help us to attend to the things, to attend to the matters that are eternal in our lives, God. Help us, God, not to be complacent and lazy, Give us a, a discipline, a, a self-control, a soberness of mind, a desire to please you, a desire to wage the good fight, not just to be passive, not just to, to turn over and give up, but give us a tenacity, God. By your Spirit, give us boldness. Give us the capacity to pray bold prayers in faith, knowing that you're, you hear and you're able to answer, God. Fill us with faith here this afternoon. Fill us with your faith, Jesus. Thank you, Lord.